Welcome to the podcast from First Baptist Church, Madison, North Carolina. This is Dr. Chuck McGaffey, and uh, I'm happy to be bringing you the uh, podcast that is intended for the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. And interestingly enough, it's a section of the Gospel according to Luke where Jesus deals with the matter of prayer. Uh, prayer has always been quite interesting and uh, a very popular subject matter for us as Christian people. Uh, I get a lot of questions about it. I'm going to make mention of that in a moment. First, let me read the scripture to you today. But before I do that, let me remind you of our website, www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison, all spelled out, dot weebly. Dot com. Weebly, by the way, is spelled W-E-E-B-L-Y. Some people have pronounced it Webly, but I think it may be pronounced Weebly. And uh, so www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. I highly encourage you to go to our website, look around. If you want to give some money, we will accept it. If you want to learn more about our church, we will encourage it. If you would be kind enough to write me an email and tell me that you're listening, it will be helpful when I talk to people in our congregation about the effectiveness of the variety of communication systems that we have. So you will help me out, and I think you'll help yourself out, and I'll appreciate your taking the extra effort to do that. Again, www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. The scripture passage today comes from Luke 18, 1 through 8. Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray in all ways and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who, was neither, who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my accuser. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Whenever I travel, I do something a bit unusual. Instead of trying to think of only my destination, I try to imagine what the place I am passing through was like years ago. I study the old buildings, the contours of the land, the bits of history that present clues about the significance of the place I'm passing through. Now, admittedly, driving through West Texas, a place that is seemingly as desolate as any I've traveled through, the visions of the past require a bit more effort, but the effort is well worth it. This is a good story that comes from the barren wilds of West Texas. 
The name Fantley Bean Jr. probably is unknown to most, but in the late 19th century, he was the Justice of the Peace in Valverde County. He called himself the Law West of the Pecos, and so he was. Better known today as Judge Roy Bean, he was a law unto himself. Some mischaracterize him as a hanging judge, but Roy saw little profit in that, nearly a victim of hanging himself before being appointed a judge in a desolate west of the Pecos, in a desolate area west of the Pecos River, which if you've ever seen the Pecos River, you know that we in North Carolina would very hardly want to refer to that as a river, perhaps a, an intermittent drainage ditch. But in West Texas, it is considered a river. Roy preferred to find those who had broken the law, usually at the exact amount they had in their pockets. And then he kept the money instead of sending it into Austin. He had one law book, which he rarely consulted, and... His rulings from the bench, which also doubled as the front porch of the saloon he ran, are legendary. On one occasion, an Irishman named Patty O'Rourke shot a Chinese laborer. A mob of 200 angry Irishmen surrounded the courthouse and threatened to lynch Bean if O'Rourke was not freed. And after looking through his law book, Bean ruled that homicide was the killing of a human being. However, he could find no law against killing a Chinaman. So Judge Roy Bean dismissed the case. As you might imagine from all of this, it was predictably difficult to find justice from the judge west of the Pecos. In that way, Judge Roy Bean resembles a judge Jesus spoke of in Scripture. We can read about this less than noble justice in Luke 18, 1 through 8. Let me share that with you again from a translation called The Voice. Jesus told them a parable, urging them to keep praying and never grow discouraged. The parable went like this. There was a judge living in a certain city. He showed no respect for God or humanity. In that same city, there was a widow. Again and again, she kept coming to him seeking justice. Clear my name from my adversary's false accusations. He paid no attention to her request for a while, but then he said to himself, I don't care about what God thinks of me, much less what any mere human thinks, but this widow is driving me crazy. She's never going to quit coming to see me unless I hear her case and provide her legal protection. Did you catch what this self-assured judge said? If he can be moved to act justly, won't God bring justice for his chosen people when they cry to him day and night? Will he be slow to bring them justice? Mark my words, God will intervene fast and with vindication. But here's the question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find anyone who still has faith? This story involves two characters. First is the crooked judge. As far as his profession goes, he is only in it for himself. Ethically, he is corrupt. 
He cares only for his own good. He acts without regard for his fellow man or woman, and he's not motivated by any desire to know, respect, or express the will of God. The second character in the story is the most vulnerable citizen imaginable. She is a widow. It is obvious to us that she lacks both power and authority as she is a female in a repressive, male-dominated culture. But she was also a widow, which in that day meant she had to rely upon the good graces of family or friends to even survive. Furthermore, in making her situation infinitely worse, something terrible had happened. Some grave wrong that for some reason had gone unaddressed. Whatever her loss, maybe she had suffered a property theft or maybe it was a wrongful death of a member uh, of her support system, or maybe she was left destitute and homeless by a cruel landlord. Whatever it was, it was significant, and she was a victim, and she was desperate. Yet this judge did not want to be bothered by her case. There was nothing in it for him. Thus she suffered, and her suffering was multiplied by this recalcitrant judge. So she devised a way to get the judge to do his duty. She had no power. There were no other forms of legal address, but she did not, but she did have one ace up her sleeve, and she played it and played it well. She nagged and nagged and whined and whined. She made a spectacle of herself to such a degree that the sorry excuse for a judge could not ignore her any longer. In our English translation, he is quoted as saying, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. That phrase, so that she will not beat me down, literally means in the Greek, so she won't give me a black eye. That was apparently a common Greek colloquialism that meant this woman is embarrassing me, giving my reputation a black eye. So in a purely self-interested move, the judge does his duty and proceeds to rule on her grievance. Now Jesus told that story to teach a lesson on prayer. It is a lesson of contrast. Like the analogies of the bread and stone and fish and serpent, he demonstrates God's love and care. In the first, he asks if a son is hungry and asks for bread, his father will not give him a stone, will he? Neither will that father, in order to feed his offspring, substitute a snake for a fish, will he? Then if human fathers will not do so, how much more does your heavenly father care for his hungry children? So too, this is a story told like that. It illustrates that if the evil, lazy, no-good judge can be compelled to do the right thing by persistent petition, how much more so will the righteous judge respond to our pleas for justice? Jesus' question is key to understanding this lesson. He asks, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on earth? This is his challenge to the church to engage in constant, 
persistent, believing prayer. The church will do this because they are the ones who have been called by God and are set apart for a special work. It is the work of the church to be involved in a ministry of reconciliation and justice. And like the woman seeking to have her issues resolved, it is something we must do constantly with devotion and persistence, believing not only that God wants to answer our prayers, but that He is answering our prayers and will bring about His kingdom. Prayer is one of the great disciplines of the church. Disciplines are what disciples are called to do. As Christians, we're called to lead disciplined lives that help us grow into Christian maturity. As our church faces the challenge of reaching an increasingly secular culture, we must embrace these disciplines on a personal level. And as a church, if we're going to see a renewal of faith and a growth in membership, we need to be a spiritually disciplined organization. Discipled, disciplined discipleship is not for someone else. It is for you. So let me share with you today the need we have to be a praying people and some of the reasons why each of us must embrace it. Number one in prayer is this. Listen to God. Seek to practice the discipline of listening to God by setting aside at least one focused time to hear God's voice each week. The way you do this may vary. Some will take a walk. Others will write down their prayerful thoughts in a journal. Some will meditate. Others may find listening to music helpful. The important thing is to find a way you can settle your mind and heart on God and hear Him. By doing this, you will follow Jesus' example, seeking time alone with God, speaking of Jesus. Matthew writes, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. And God promises to meet you when you come to him. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of this. You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Prayer is not optional for followers of Jesus. It is an essential part of the new nature we have been given through our baptism. When I speak of baptism here, I'm not talking about merely getting wet, but the new birth experience that is essential to understanding the essence of Christ following faith. Prayer then becomes a lifeline. We communicate with God and He communicates with us. Even though this is in our spiritual DNA, it is greatly misunderstood. Prayer is often subordinated to a self-seeking wish list. I was reminded of this while watching my alma mater lose a close football game. My Gators were playing the Tigers of LSU. The game came down to one very controversial call that the referees had under review. In those agonizing moments, the only thing the fans could do was to wait for the decision. The television camera panned across the stands to see how the fans were doing, waiting the crucial outcome. Some fans chanted while others wringed their hands 
in anxious anticipation. At least one fan did a bit more. She prayed. <laughs> Clearly an LSU supporter. The purple and yellow clad co-ed bowed her head, pressed her hands together, and appealed for the assistance of the Almighty to sway the game. The game did, in fact, go her way, and LSU prevailed in the final score. Now, I do not think God had anything to do with that. I know because I might have lifted a prayer the other way. The misunderstanding of the nature of genuine prayer is not limited, however, to college football teams. There have even been attempts to study the effect of prayer scientifically. These studies typically are based upon a flawed understanding of prayer from the outset. When prayer is believed to work because certain formulas are applied, what Jesus condemned as meaningless repetitions, we reduce God to some kind of heavenly Santa who grants our wishes only when certain conditions are met. Here is an example of one of these useless studies. The largest medical study on the efficacy of intercessory prayer and healing has found that it has no effect on patients' recoveries from heart bypass surgery. Patients did just as well when church groups did not pray for them as when they did. The authors said the study indicated only that the particular brand of prayer used in the project by strangers using a specific text was ineffective and that much more research was needed to determine whether other forms might work better. The study was financed by John Templeton Foundation and by one of the hospitals involved in the research. The Baptist Memorial Healthcare Corporation in Memphis the study followed 1,800 heart patients at six academic medical centers for 30 days after they received heart bypass surgery and noted whether they developed complications. Three church groups, two Roman Catholic, one Protestant, prayed for two weeks for some 1,200 of the 1,800 patients whom they knew by the first name and last initial. The patients were randomly assigned to one of the two study groups, those who knew they were receiving prayer and those who were told they might be prayed for. Patients in a third group received no prayers after being told they might. The two groups that did not know whether they were being prayed for fared practically the same. The conclusion, intercessory prayer under our restricted format had a neutral effect, concluded Charles F. Bethea of the Oklahoma Heart Institute. Now that I've told you that, this is very important to hear carefully. Baptist theologian Richard B. Vincent commented upon this study has said this, Complaints about the experiment have ranged from why waste money trying to find objective grounds for religious beliefs to it wasn't a fair test. People usually pray for those they know and love, and besides, this test does not measure the effect of prayer on the prayer. Prayer. I find I have mixed reactions to the finding that prayer does not always bring the desired result. Surely that's not news to anyone who prays regularly. B, at least now I know that I'm not the only one and that God isn't singling out my prayers to ignore. Maybe the experiment proves that God cannot be controlled by specific human behaviors even if the desired outcome is unobjectionable. I'd like to suggest to you 
that the secret to understanding real prayer is neither found in the common wisdom is neither found in the common wisdom nor is it found in scientific research for you to understand the nature of real prayer you need to seek Christ apply the lessons he teaches in your own life and never cease listening to God prayer real prayer is no easy road Few will choose to take it. It does not suit us well in a land of fast food and instant photos. But peaceful quietness, persistence in asking, and faithful certainty of an answer are essential to comprehending the nature of genuine prayer. Prayer is a discipline, and like any discipline, it must be practiced. Paul Rees wrote of this when he said, if we're willing to take hours on end to learn to play a piano, or operate a computer, or fly an airplane. It is sheer nonsense for us to imagine that we can learn the high art of getting guidance through communication with the Lord without being willing to set aside time for it. It is no accident that the Bible speaks of prayer as a form of waiting on God. Prayer requires our persistence, yet there is another thing that is indispensable. The parable Jesus told also demands our faith. We must also know that our God loves us and that he is just. God cares about those things we pray for even more than we do. Whenever we pray according to his will, he hears us. Even so, we all have problems when it seems our prayers are unheard. When that happens, I hope that we will be like Teresa of Avila, a 16th century nun who on one of her journeys found herself mired in the mud. In her frustration, she cried out to God, if this is your way you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. Have you ever felt like that? I have. But Teresa was persistent. She kept on keeping on. She kept the faith. She continued to work for Christ. Later she wrote a poem that will help us understand prayer. She wrote, Let nothing upset you. Let nothing startle you. All things pass. God does not change. Patience wins all it seeks. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone is enough. Teresa was persistent. It was no easy road, but like the widow who kept coming back, she finally found the joy she was seeking. I pray that we will be like that widow and like Teresa and like the millions of saints through the years who have let their faith Triumph over adversity. Prayer is no easy road. Not for the individual and not for the church. Yet we must pray. We must pray that God will meet our financial needs. We must pray that God, that hearts will be moved to sacrificially give to help us minister to the hurting in our community with the clear message of the gospel of grace. We must pray that our egos and our hurts, our ignorance and awkward ways of dealing with each other will be put aside so God can be glorified through our lives. We must pray that God will bring a new generation of committed disciples to join us on this journey. These are important prayers. If they are going to be answered, God is going to have to work on the prayers as well as the praise. And that is what he will do 
if we will pray. And he promised he would if we keep the faith and never give up. Here we can take courage from our past. At the beginning of World War II, when Britain and France had been defeated on the continent and Britain was standing nearly alone in its fight against Nazi Germany, Britain's greatest asset was Winston Churchill, who inspired his people to stay in the fight. He promised, we shall not flag or fail. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And Britain never did. She never surrendered. She suffered, but she stood firm. Many years later, when Churchill died, Dwight D. Eisenhower attended the memorial service. Later, James Humes, a presidential speechwriter, asked President Eisenhower, what was the most moving moment of Churchill's funeral service? He said it was the closing hymn, the battle hymn of the Republic, a song that Churchill's American mother had taught him. Eisenhower then said, we all know the first verse, mine eyes have seen the glory. But do you know the third verse? Because there I was seated with the other heads of state, Charles de Gaulle, Charles de Gaulle, Charles de Gaulle of France, Queen Juliana of the Netherlands, King Olaf of Norway, heads of nations whose freedom had been redeemed by the warrior who lay in state on the yards before us. And I could see the feelings of gratitude and reverent mist in their eyes as they did my own. And we all sang, he has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. His truth goes marching on. His truth goes marching on through our persistent prayers. Our prayers focus our attention. And we are called into formation by Christ to march down that road. It is not an easy road, but it is the only road that leads to victory. Today I believe God is looking for those among us who will pray. Will you? Let us pray. Lord, we need to see your justice and love in our lives, in our church, and in our community, and in our world. Help us to be persistent and not lose heart. Help us to believe that you are working even now in ways that will bring the answers we seek. As you change others through prayer, so change us as the ones who pray so that we may be more like you. We will never give up, never as long as you are on our side. How could we ever quit? In your holy name and according to your will, we pray. Amen.